Hey, this is Robbie Shaw. This is Patrick Balsley. And I'm Sam Hampson. And this is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. We are here in the studio again with our episode called The Biggest Gorilla, and we're going to touch on the male relationship with alcohol. Men's issues, my favorite thing to talk about in regards to any substance use. I have so many questions that I'm dying to ask Rich Jones about when we get him on the line, but first, both of you are in the hot spot. Mm. I'm excited to hear about your experiences. I'm not much of a man, so... (laughs) This is about gorillas, so oh, you're good. Oh, got it. Well, I am not. <laughs> see with my shirt off. So I have a couple of things that I want to dive into, and I'm so curious, just knowing you both and knowing some of your story, the way that you frame some of these things up, the way that you look at some of these things, and maybe even how you incorporate this into your work with your clients. So the first question I have is, in what ways do you think men are entitled to alcohol use in ways that are different than women? What are the double standards around alcohol use with men and women? The biggest gorilla goes first. (laughs) Um, What comes to mind, obviously, I I don't know exactly, but what comes to mind is just the history of it, the the generational passing down. Because, you know, let's face it, historically, there was less knowledge about it. I mean, sure, there was some, some emotion around it, obviously, with the, you know, prohibition efforts. And there, and there's always been efforts and issues surrounding alcohol but you know incorporate the great depression and world wars and all the things that uh drove uh heavier drinking and and maybe even some value in the alcohol um is is kind of where it started and or where it starts and so when i look back at you know, what was passed down to me from, from my dad and, and from his dad. And honestly, from what I've heard, his dad and his dad and his dad. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just passed down. And, and the passing down is just the, the normalization side of it. It's just, this is what we do. You know, t- age 21 doesn't mean anything. Age 18 doesn't mean anything. When you're a young boy, you experiment. Fast forward to, you know, 2021, it's a little different. There's mm-hmm. a there's a little bit more sensitivity around that kind of stuff. Boys will be be boys is is now uh, pretty frowned on uh, yeah. for a lot of a lot of reasons and 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 valid reasons. Yeah, yeah. A man's reward at the end of the day, at the end of mowing the lawn. Yeah, sure. for sure. I I think there was you know I, I don't really have a lot to speak on this specific question that would make any sense to me. Um, or probably anybody else, but there's... Oh, well, we're all ears. It's a rite of passage type thing. It's like, this is what guys do, you know? And and men are allowed to kind of let loose and be reckless, and that's kind of part of our makeup, and, you know, women traditionally aren't supposed to do that. Um, And I think that that's been ingrained in our culture for so long that it, it, it... it follows suit in anything that has to do with, with alcohol use. I was just thinking about the, even the difference in what types of alcohol are reserved for men. Do y'all have any thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't see many women drinking bourbon neats. You do see some, but not many. (laughs) 
my type of girl. <laughs> Can you talk about that though? Like from a gorilla mentality, like why? What if I like bourbon? But do you? <laughs> <laughs> and that that's a whole nother topic. When I was at my grandmother's funeral, the choice was beer or wine. Yeah. Men get beer, women get wine. I got you a pint. <laughs> and the looks. Alcoholic. What did, you, what did you order that for? Or she's cool. Yeah, why? Was, why beer? I went straight to a pint of liquor. That's what I was like. <laughs> I thought you brought your own pint. British pint. <laughs> like, why? Right? And, the, and it was very much like a question and like looks of like, why? And it was very clear to me at that moment that I was supposed to pick one. Like, I, it was never supposed to be beer. Like, they probably just should have assumed, like, this one wants wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think some of that is about? Just the, the alcohol types that are reserved for men, and how does that play into manliness of the alcohol kind of culture? I think a lot of it has to do with marketing, honestly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there, there's a whole another category of conversation that, that alludes to acquired tastes. Right. Right? You know, it's it's, I mean, if you're 10 years old and you drink, a sip of bourbon, it's going to taste like fucking gas. You know, if <laughs> you'll uh, learn to like you'll it, you'll learn to like it. And beer as well. And, and, you know, wine has a little bit more, maybe a little more flavor, maybe a little more fruity flavor. Mm. Uh, but, but the marketing aspect of that, I mean, it's, it's, you know, to be able to handle that, that, that gas that you're drinking mm. down your throat, it mm-hmm. burns your throat, it burns your stomach, and that feels good. Right. It hurts good. It hurts you know, so good. And, and they market that. They market yeah. it that way. I I have a little different perspective on this. My family, mm-hmm. you know, they they own the oldest wine shop. I think it's the oldest wine shop in Charlotte. So like I've been, I grew up in this wine drinking culture. Yeah, you're a rosé guy. I know. Yeah, no. You're very sophisticated. Um, wine was not the first thing that I drank from seventh grade, all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. All I drank was beer. Yeah, you know that's it. I didn't drink liquor, and the reason that I didn't drink liquor is because my drinking was, in my mind, a way for me to be able to control the way that I felt. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was. I was like obsessed with. I didn't want to black out. Mm-hmm. I didn't. That's not how I drank. And I knew that, like the couple times that I drank liquor, it was like. Whoa. Yeah. This is, you know, I don't know how to gauge this as much. Yeah. And by the time, you know, I got I got to college and I started drinking liquor, I definitely met criteria for like a severe, I mean, I met criteria for severe alcohol use disorder probably freshman year in high school. But by the time I, you know, I started drinking liquor, there was no... Ooh, this tastes bad, or like, ooh, this is like, there was no masculine undertone to the way that I, the difference between the the different types of alcohol that I drank. It was like, okay, well, you know, beer gets me one kind of drunk, wine gets me another kind of drunk, mm-hmm. and liquor, you know, has this other effect on me. And that was the only lens that I saw. It was a, it was a tool. Yeah, well, it's just so interesting because I think about what you're saying, Patrick, and it doesn't make sense to me that as a teenager that, like, even drinking a lot of beer is easy to conceal. Like, there's so many cans versus yeah, it my it mentality, which was, like, liquor. And I still feel bad about that. I, I can't, like, not recycle something in my house. And to think 
that, you know, there was a five-year period of my life that when we couldn't drink in the house, we were drinking in somebody's car, yeah. and I would, you know, finish a 12-pack, and out the window it went. <laughs> With a Wendy's bag. Shame, yeah, shame. Exa- exactly. We'd throw anything out the damn window. So there's a lot of things that are reserved for men in the alcohol kind of industry and just in the way it's marketed, the way that we talk about it. But I know that you both have kind of your own experience post-alcohol life and want to kind of dive into that and really understand what are some of the things that you're taught about being a man that actually get in the way if you're considering removing alcohol from your life? Hmm. Oh, man, that's, that's, a a great, load, that's a loaded question. It is Thank loaded, you. and it's a great one. Kind of chicken or the egg, really. I mean, you know, alcohol fuels a lot of those stereotypes for me. Yeah. You know, it makes me fall into that category, and I use it for yeah. that reason, to not be sensitive, to not cry in front of people, mm. you know, to not uh, share weaknesses or even confront weaknesses or, not, you know, issues inside of me. That no, I'm that's the right with. word though. Weakness? That's what we're talking yeah, about. Weakness. I yeah. see it as a weakness. So yeah. Weak. Exactly. I am. That's so it. Extremely You've learned to correct it, but weak. that's the word. When your drinking becomes problematic and you have to do the things to, to, you know, enter recovery and sustain recovery. <laughs> it's, it's all those things. Yeah. It's, Digging deep, looking inward, letting emotions out, being familiar with emotions, being comfortable with emotions, talking to other people, sharing, bonding, all the things that I was drinking to get over with. It's crazy because to me, that's the ultimate gorilla. Like that is the courageous, brave man that is able to enter that vulnerability and know that it's got a product at the end of if I go and do this big, scary thing, which is crying in front of people. Mm -hmm. If I go do this big, scary thing and say to my wife, hey, when you, I feel (laughs) when I do those (laughs) things, then I've entered a realm of courage that most men actually don't. Right. versus kind of the idea that we have that seems to be a little backwards, which is definitely don't do that. That's not what brave and strong men do. That's not what gorillas do. Yeah. Don't be be a sobbing gorilla. Right. Except the crazy, the funny part about it is, is like, you know, you have the, you know, those, those nights where you'll get drunk and, and And start crying. Yeah. And you become a, you know, that's when you really start diving into that shit. The ugly cry. Well, it makes it, it makes it okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, man. I love you, yeah. brother. Best friend I've ever had. Hey, brother. <laughs> the Bri- ugly cry is not reserved for women when they're <laughs> drinking. We'll tell you that much. So there are rules and things that you're taught kind of, you know, subconsciously or really overtly about being a man that you almost have to rewire, get over, undo, or kind of reconstruct to enter a life of living without alcohol. At least, at the very minimum, it challenges some of those things. Do you all remember the points in the change over into living alcohol-free where some of those things really got challenged and what they were? So I, I I can speak to that, I think. You know, I mean, one of the things that I really didn't I never looked at until I stopped drinking and kind of entered into this recovery world, which is for me, it's, it's a total space of Mm self-discovery. I had no clue who I was. I had no clue why I did the things that I did, why I thought the way that I thought. Um, I was totally indoctrinated by my environment and the culture that we lived in and really had, you know, I didn't really understand how much I had been conditioned by my environment. 
So when I stopped drinking, it 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 like thrusted me into this world of okay, well, now that you have all this time on your hands, <laughs> um, you might as well start exploring um, yourself and figure out you know the answers to some of those questions. And what that did was it, in, it unveiled all this stuff that I had no idea was there. And that's, to me, that's been the coolest thing. I mean, not to mention the health benefits of not, you know, not pouring alcohol on my brain, but it's really given me the opportunity to, to bring a, a certain amount of clarity into my life, which is kind of like the precursor to any kind of change. And, and to me, that's like the coolest part of the process is there was so much information out there about me. Yeah. That I had never looked at before. You're like so much more Patrick now than when you were using alcohol. Yeah, I was pretty cool when I drank. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You were pretty Patrick. (laughs) I don't know if I could say that any better, honestly. A lot of it had to do with eliminating alcohol and going into a recovery world. But there was also, it's not a midlife crisis, but it's just a, you know, a certain age where you start analyzing and assessing, you know, yourself and things. And, and, and essentially what I did was I went from this is me to this is actually not who I want to be. Right. So now I've got to look at and work on becoming who I want to be. Yeah. My substance use was very severe. From the time that I was, you know, 18 to 28 when I stopped drinking, there was never, I mean, not once was there a moment where the thought crossed my mind, yeah, this is probably something that you need to take a look at. You know, it was totally drowned out by my using and drinking and the the culture around that and this idea of this is who I am mm-hmm. um, and this is how it's going to be. That totally blocked out any type of awareness uh, around like there may be some more to life out there or they may be pieces of me that, you know, I don't know about. And I know a lot of people, you know, are struggling with that and they don't don't even know it. Yeah. Follow up on that is I was different in that sense because I knew I had a drinking problem when I was 20 because that was when I first started really Mm self-medicating. I had anxiety and panic attacks and I would drink to make them go away Mm -hmm. and I couldn't function without alcohol or else I had those things going on. And so that's how it went up and down cyclical, cyclical, Mm -hmm. cyclical, cyclical, for nine years. And uh, during that nine years, I knew eventually I was going to have to stop. Yeah. I, I knew it. I, I, I knew I was an alcoholic, and I knew that the day was going to come that I was going to have to stop. But what that did was give me a... F- oh, it just makes it worse. Yes. Ten exactly. times worse. I just didn't give just a shit. Let's, avo- let's yeah. avoid this as, as more, even more and push this out as far as we can. And that's, I right. think, what happened to me. So, like, I mean, I, I do think there were some small moments of clarity, but... Just push it aside. No, don't. I mean, it was like, it was fleeting. So you two are both in long-term recovery, and there's some really obvious glaring benefits of why it's better in your life these days to not have alcohol present versus the days that you were drinking. But I'm curious, for our moderate drinkers, for our gray area drinkers, what would you offer as some of the the benefits or, or some of the opportunities they would have by removing alcohol or reducing their alcohol use? One of the things that comes to mind for me is, you know, 
and this goes, this kind of goes into the category of what are some of the positive effects of alcohol is that it actually helps, you know, a lot of people with their anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a quick fix. It's like, you know, I, I don't feel good. I'm anxious about a situation. All I got to do is, you know, drink this and I feel okay. One of the things that, that, that I see, especially working with people that, you know, are exploring their alcohol use and may not really be problematic drinkers, is it gives them the opportunity to approach treating their anxiety in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a more, I don't want to say healthy, but, but that opens the door when we kind of put the alcohol on the shelf it opens the door to more health and wellness approaches around every aspect of our life or every behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, if I learn different ways to deal with my anxiety, um, you know, I may start to look at other dimensions of my life where, you know, I may be, you know, self-medicating in different ways or, you know, have some type of unhealthy coping skill, you know, in in a different area of my life. I see a lot, like, people have trouble exploring those other areas if they have that quick fix. Yeah. Because that works so well, and they're looking for quick fixes in other areas of our, of our life. The word that comes to mind for me is dependence, and, and not, you know, the, the extreme sense, not the physical sense and that kind of thing. But we do, over time, you know, if you come home and it's been a stressful day and you have your beer at 5 o'clock, there's a relief associated with that. Mm-hmm. You can depend on that. Yeah. You know, and then once you become dependent, varying degrees of dependence, obviously, but any degree of dependence has the probability of an issue later. You know, removing whatever it is you're dependent on is going to be tough Mm. to some degree. And alcohol obviously being so effective and so powerful, the, the removal of it becomes a lot tougher. And then therein lies, you know, the things that we uh, implement to avoid the removal of it. Yeah. I love that. And don't men love to be dependable? Like (laughs) if you could depend on yourself to relieve, to provide relief, to cope with things, to know that you can go to you and solve a problem rather than something external, doesn't that feel so powerful? It's like the ultimate like gorilla roar. rich thanks again for being here we value everything you say um loved having you on episode one and just ecstatic to have you back you're you're so informative and and so in line with how we think and and it's just it's just a blast to have you here so when we talk about men's issues related to alcohol what are some of the first things that come to mind i can tell you my take on 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 men and alcohol, I think that in a certain a certain type of personality style really falls into this. I do think that men are very susceptible to this idea of like work hard, play hard. Yeah. And and you kind of get a badge of honor in, in America if you're just like a stressed out working 80 hours a week, you know, going hard. If you look at you, if you know the show Mad Men. Oh yeah. And uh so Don Draper on Mad Men, if you want to see the caricature or the stereotype of like the hard driven type A, yeah, high functioning alcoholic, right? It's Don Draper. It's make him make a million dollars and just drink whiskey at every meeting. And yeah. it's it's almost like how cigarettes were seen in the past. If you remember cigarettes, it would be like a cowboy smoking a cigarette 
on a horse, right? And you'd be like, that's what the, because that's what a man does, man. He rides horses and smokes cigarettes. And I don't know. I never did any of that. I never rode a horse. <laughs> so, but it's this kind of like manly man deal and you drink. And, and that is, is that intentional by the marketing companies? Is that something that they figured out along the way? I don't know when they figured it out, but I do believe it's intentional at this point that that's just how dudes should be, man. Just go at it hard and then just blow off the steam. I think it's almost ingrained in our psyche. It's like, if I, if I work this hard, then I get this reward. Yeah. You know, it's like I get a treat at the end of the day. It's, but it's fascinating because when you apply it to, you know, the sports world, like jocks and, you know, even like frat boys. And then you go to into like a bar scene and there might be like a, you know, a couple guys fighting. And, mm. and I mean, it's just, there's just so much masculinity involved in that. It's, it's fascinating. And, and I think with men, there are certain things that you can do that you're like, when you're doing it to get people are like, well, that's, that's cool. That's boys will be boys. So like I'm getting hammered. I'm taking off my shirt, throwing lawn furniture into the pool. I'm jumping off the roof into the pool body slamming some people but if a, if a if a woman were to start doing that she yeah. would be like what's wrong with her yes <laughs> you know what i mean like what the hell is wrong with sally why is she throwing lawn furniture into the pool in the meantime, rich is over here just trashing stuff and and it's like it's so gendered in that way and it's so it's so damaging to guys i i do think that there's kind of like a tough guy mentality and and um and it drives a lot of problems, right? Beyond just even the consumption of alcohol, incidents and issues that occur while you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah. We get a little bit more reckless than the ladies. Even the storytelling, like men are very proud of their drunk stories. Oh, yeah. Women are not. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Patrick, top three. Oh, yeah, no. You, know, you don't want to hear them. Well, and, and I mean, you think about it, you just... You, that's all you talk about, right? Like, she's like, oh, man, I was so effed up last night. Yeah, man, I'm going to get hammered. And it's like, it becomes just like part of the culture. And yeah, you are proud of it. You're not trying to hide it. Yeah. Now, as you get older it, yeah. and, and your stage of life changes, that changes a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Early when you're young and dumb, I mean, it's a competition. Yeah. Who can Absolutely. be the biggest beast? I could drink more than you, Robbie. <laughs> I doubt it, but maybe. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Issues like men's depression and, um, and anxiety disorders. I think that that's a completely mismanaged area. And, and I think a lot of men drink to cope with, with, cause having a mental health problem as a man is also not cool, right? It's not cool to be depressed if you're, if you're a dude. And so maybe there's a situation where you have that, that combination of a higher prevalence of, of mental health issues than meets the eye. And then this becomes a very convenient way to cope. I mean, I, I think that's a major, yeah. major revelation in regards to what we're talking about. A lot of people that I do know, you know, or acquaintances that from a clinical perspective, you can see the untreated anxiety and yeah. the untreated depression and how the alcohol use, you know, covers that up, you know, and it, Absolutely. And, and it manages it in a lot of, you know, scenarios and the, and the, 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 negative consequences that would come on by the anxiety or depression do not, you know, outweigh the negative consequences that are coming from the alcohol use right. a lot that's of the right. time. And I feel like that's why it can be so acceptable and so normalized. 
I mean, I'm a hundred percent certain in my case, like whether it was post-traumatic stress disorder or, you know, undiagnosed depression and, or whatever it would have been if you'd have caught me when I was in my mid twenties, like it was driving a lot of that. It was driving a lot of that escapism. And, um, and then I do think the substance use can take on a life of its own as well. And it probably did in my case, but I was absolutely trying to deal. Yeah. And, yeah. and what do you do? Like, you didn't, I mean, maybe it's getting better in today's world, but man, back in the day, you didn't go talk to somebody. No. Like no. what, Rich? I think historically, it's just passed among generations. Like my dad was that way. Yeah. I mean, 100 yeah. to the day he died, he was an alcoholic and he had all kinds of stuff he was covered up. Yeah. That's what I learned. That's where I learned it. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the scary part about this too, is that we're almost indoctrinated into this. We talked about this before, but I mean, my first drink was at age 13. Yeah. And, and, and what were, what was one of the most contributing factors to that? All my friends were doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and I wanted to be cool. Well, um, and my dad was doing it and my family was doing yeah. it. And you know, that's what you do. You know, you're a little kid and you know, like your uncles are drinking, everybody's drinking. And, and again, like the, and we know that there's stories that are, that, that we kind of like embrace, right? The family narrative or whatever. And in my case, it was work hard, play hard. And you didn't know exactly what was in that can of beer, right? But you knew it was something magical. And yeah. so the first chance you got, you went ahead and took a shot at it. Um, I do think though that it, that it does transcend um, e- even the family environment. I mean, think about it. Just think about if you did a thought exercise and you could go back, you'd have to go back in time. We'd have to go back to when we were drinking. But I remember like if we would have gone out and, and there was one guy not drinking, I'd have been like, what? Yeah. Like, what? Don't trust that dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and I talk, I have a client who's a, an ex New York city cop. Oh my goodness. Does he put words to that? Like he says how they would go out and drink. And if they had a term for the guys that didn't drink, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and you didn't trust them and they weren't real guys and and I feel like that messaging and that that psychology is probably more, it's probably there a lot more than we than we know. For sure. There's a lot less kind of room for guys to be anxious, shy, quiet, and that sort of thing too. When you're out, like you think about the, you know, the men are supposed to lead going up to a girl, saying hey at a bar, like doing all these courageous, brave, you know, pound on your chest kind of things. And if you are someone who struggles with anxiety or just you're introverted, you're shy you have to have a social lubricant to be able to do those things because you just don't have an option not to do them without being the whack guy in the corner. That's like, dude, you're whack. Like you're not doing any of the things we're doing. You're not cool. You know, you're not one of the boys. Yeah. And then the anxiety compounds because you choose not, if you choose not to drink. I've always been a big believer that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions around kind of male culture with alcohol use. What do you think some of the misconceptions are around this? I think it's some of the stuff that we talked about earlier, like, you know, real men drink and there's nothing wrong with getting out of control and there's nothing wrong with getting in a fight down at the bar and there's nothing wrong with throwing the lawn furniture in the pool. People need to understand those are all missed. That's all weird behavior. You shouldn't do that. That is not how you're supposed to act in a civilized society. It's not boys will be boys. And then the other area is, is, and again, this is something that you would devote a whole podcast to, but it's like the sexual assault issues and the sexual issues that go along whenever guys, you know, 
are getting drunk with with girls and thinking that that gives them some kind of license big problem and the amount of sexual assault that's occurring on college campuses and and this this frat boy idea that it's okay there's nothing okay about that yeah that makes me think back about my own experience obviously and 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 when my drinking became you know very it was always problematic but when it became fairly consequential was in college and and I was in a fraternity and I did kind of go down that path but I remember these expectations that yeah I, I created I you know I, I absorbed but created for myself and and those were these toxic masculinity type yeah. type behaviors like as many girls as possible yep. you know the hot the hottest girl you know uh you know, brag about not going to class, you know, all these stupid, stupid things that I didn't morally agree with, but that was what was being pushed on me. So it was my expectation. And the only way to cope with that back to coping mechanisms was to drink over it. It's the only way I could achieve these things was to drink. Yeah. And how do you change the culture around that? And and we've had so many conversations with colleges and and I'm just going to be straight with y'all. It's so disappointing. Most the way that most colleges approach this, they have these like stupid like educational programs on binge drinking, and I have little hope that the culture on, on any given college campus that they're really working on that. And right. uh, now they would say our job is to educate, not counsel. Well, same thing. Not really. <laughs> you know, you might want to rethink that part of it too. Yeah, it, there's so much. I mean, there's so many things that it come, I think, inward to, in the direction of a male, especially that age group. I mean, you think about college as being that microcosm of getting the free pass, right? Even when parents, they, they've got a young man that's struggling in school, getting drunk, getting arrested, all these say, well, he's in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in college. it's, it's, it's his free pass, you know, and, and until the school does something about it, or the law does something about it, it just is what it is. And I'm curious to kind of switching gears of what are the impacts of some of this societal pressure, some of the the alcohol consumption in general on men. I mean, we're talking about everything from physical well-being, you know, mental well-being, emotional well-being, sexual well-being. There's so much impact to a man. Can you talk about some of that? So I, I think that it's well. First of all, it's everything that you just talked about, and. And it's this idea of also the way that we help men yeah. is, is not um, to, to the point of your podcast. It's not a wellness oriented uh, prevention, kind of like healthy lifestyle orientation. It's we're going to help you when you declare that you're all effed up, right? And yeah. not until then. So you have, you have all these like problems that, it, that nobody would really argue about, right? Like if you sat down your average medical professional or your average therapist, or, or really just even lay people. Yeah, it causes problems in all those areas. It causes problems in health. It causes problems in relationships. It causes sexual problems. But, but like, even though we all agree, we're not going to do anything about it until yeah. you declare that you're an addict or an alcoholic, and you go do exactly what we tell you to do. And we're cool then. We got you covered then. But it's so strange. It's it, not a it, problem it, until you get caught. It's not a problem until you get caught or until you have like enough consequences that you say you have a problem, right? Everybody who talks about this at at a policy level or at an expert level is really, truly talking to the already addicted person. They really are, man. They're only, 
They're talking about how to solve that problem. They're not talking about how to solve the problem that your podcast is addressing. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting. Some of my clients, like I said earlier, when I polled them, was like, what do you really understand about alcohol? And basically their answer was BAC, right? And even they don't even know what that stands for, but they know that one glass of wine is this much. I can have this many beers or whatever. And one thing that a lot of my clients don't know is how much they actually drink in a night when they're binge drinking and when to stop or what their gauge is to stop. Is it the amount that you've had? Is it how many hours you've been drinking? Is it the way that you're feeling? They don't know the answer and they've never been asked that question. And when you ask it from an exploratory place, there's just a difference in the way that males and females respond to that. You know, females will be like, well, you know, there's, there's the calorie content. So I try to be careful about this. And I know I need to drink water and blah, 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 blah. And men will be like, well, I'm just trying to keep up. Like, yeah. I just want to make sure when I'm I stop. A, yeah. Dude, I stop when I, I stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a kid in my office the other day at 20, told me that he drank 20 beers in a night and acted like it was no big deal. Yeah. He was yeah. like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, probably, about, probably, probably 20. Yeah. About. <laughs> so was it, was it just, was that just a situation where you guys were just talking? You're like, well, tell me how much. Yeah. You think yeah. yeah. And he's like, I don't know. 20. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's asked, shrugged it off and they don't know and i think the my red flags go up when there's so much pride around high tolerance yeah. Oh, yeah and i'm like dude let's talk about that you're having to spend more than your friend let's just be honest you have to spend more on your white claws than your friend has to spend that sucks my parents money yeah don't care, <laughs> don't yeah. care. care less. No. your parents have to spend more yeah. yeah and then there's the other impact where you're pouring more alcohol on your brain and organs than your friends are that sucks too why is there this kind of male bravado around higher tolerance like i can handle more i'm stronger i'm a right gorilla than yeah. you no that and that that's what it is i'm gonna let rich speak to this Our and big- isn't it weird though if you think about it robbie and patrick like nobody ever told me that it wasn't like somebody sat me down and said you're more of a man if you can drink more than these guys it's it's a cultural thing it's it's yeah. it's in the ethos around drinking and it's it's so weird i grew up in pittsburgh pennsylvania you guys grew up in another part of the country or whatever but we had that same mentality yeah. you know what i mean it was it was there it was like universal you go off to college, you meet a brand new set of dudes. Well, they still, they're, they're rolling the same way too. I don't, that's why I think that our efforts at, at trying to, trying to reverse this stigma or trying to talk about it. That's why I think that we need to be so strategic and more aggressive. And, and it's not a public service campaign. It's going to have to be everyday conversations. And if you wrap it up in this wellness thing. So one of the things would be could you wrap it up with men? Could you get to men around this idea of fitness and dudes and in shape? And, you know, do you, are you guys familiar with like the straight edge movement and the punk movement and everything like that that went down in New York City? Yeah, I'm, still, a, I'm still trying to wash the X's off my hands. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> but something happened, right? Like with the straight edge movement, something happened where it was cool to be sober, where it was, yeah. and it had nothing to do with like, you had to admit you were an alcoholic. It was just, we don't do that. Like that was with a very particular kind of like group of people, right? Could, could, could there be a similar vibe around? I've only found (laughs) that to work with one population and it's been athletes. And I talk about my two words, my like hook is optimal performance. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And, and athletes it works with, it, it, it speaks their language. It's very much like, here's how you do even better, not, hey, here's how you're doing damage. That'll also work with like high performing, like CEO types. Yeah. Executives. Like, like, yeah. and, and like, if you talk about optimal performance or productivity, right? Because it's not a conversation about failure or consequence or impact health-wise. It's just a conversation about how you can be even better. And so it doesn't get into that defensive corner of like, you're doing something bad and I'm going to tell you how to do it different, right? Where there's kind of that male, like, I'm not going to be told what to yeah. do resistance. It's like, I'm not at all pointing that out. What I'm doing is helping paint a picture for how if you remove even five alcoholic drinks per week, dude, look at the things you could do. I feel like we're making some progress right now, though, culturally with that, with the whole wellness movement and mental health being a part of that and and the stigma reduction around mental health issues. You know, we're getting some track, we're gaining some traction. And I think, you know, when people start to start to really look at their what I call mental diet um, and that that whole wellness approach includes the mental health piece. I think that's the segue to these conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Rich, we cannot thank you enough. This has been so informative. My pleasure. And, and just a delight to talk to you. You're always a blast to listen to. <laughs> so that was wonderful. So Rich is... Man, he is just such a pleasure to have on I here. Love He's that so dude. informative mm-hmm. and so entertaining almost, but yeah. but but educational at the same time. You know, something that stands out for me that we we didn't dive a whole lot into, but we did a touch was the the bonding aspect of of yeah. men, you know, a, as they drink and and I just think the uh, first thing that comes to my mind is is my experience bonding with my father. Yeah. And how you know, in hindsight, and, and this isn't a knock on him because he, you know, I always have to pr- disclaimer, he did the best he could. But, you know, you could tell that he was just waiting for the time that I was old enough to drink with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then when that time did come, and it wasn't 21, it was, <laughs> it was well shy of that, we all of a sudden were buds. You know, before yeah. that, it was very much a father-son relationship. We didn't bond really much at all other than you know i knew he loved me and that was about it but once i started drinking and we started drinking together i mean we we were we were pals i heard someone explain that one time as women need to be together and men need to make something together or do something together Mm. Hmm. interesting there has to be something to bond over right can't just be bonding right (laughs) and that that touches on the whole masculinity piece and and how it's hard for us to be sensitive and and, you know warm with other men and and relationships without some sort of lubricant i'm like i'm like the total opposite tell us about that i drank with my dad but it was but it wasn't like that you know it was it was a different dynamic my dad was super sensitive my grandfather was really sensitive um you know and and i've never felt that like manly pressure of like this is something that i have to do and i have to drink to be a man or you know i'm i'm going to need alcohol to to bond with my friends um but for some reason i fell into that role mm. from a cultural perspective so i never i never really felt this like pressure growing up that i had to prove anything especially when it came to my drinking and using, but I fell into that. 
Yeah. Somehow. Which is really interesting. Doesn't that make it even more ingrained because it's not even yeah. noticeable, right? Yeah. It's like I can't even point to where it was. I just knew that it was yeah. the right. case. It's almost like it turned me into that in in some way. Totally. It was almost like my oversensitivity was kind of drowned out by my alcohol use because I used to, I mean, I didn't get in a lot of fights, but I sure as hell talked a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for our listeners that are kind of on the fence on whether or not they even want to start to explore their alcohol use, I think, you know, a start of that conversation is, look, I mean, there's a lot of people now that have chosen you know, not to drink alcohol, whether it's, you know, a health and wellness choice or whether it's a, you know, if it's a, you know, mental health choice Mm -hmm. um, or physical health choice, find a, find a friend that that doesn't drink and ask them what it's like. Robbie, you and Rich really touched on this of like, to talk about it doesn't mean to quit. Yeah. Right. And it just doesn't have to, you know, and being able to talk about your alcohol use, just like we talk about your lifting of weights or your work or your family. And, and if there's defensiveness around it, you know, can we set that aside and what would it be like to just talk about it without that protection over it? Because the protection usually comes from, I'm not ready to get sober. I don't think that I have a problem. And that's not at all what this conversation's about. It's not about problematic use necessarily. It's just about alcohol use and its place in your life or your relationship with it. If I could say something to the men in the gray area drinking realm, it's, it's, it's similar to what, what I work with on, on, on with my clients who are trying to manage their use. And a lot of it has to do with preparation, and, uh, and, it, and I think that falls into the category of prevention. It's not prevention from drinking. It's prevention from the progression of yeah. mm-hmm. alcoholism. And what we have to be aware of is that life is going to throw us curveballs. Mm-hmm. Shit's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, people get sick, people die, traumatic things happen. Inevitably, in everyone's life, we have things that are super stressors. If we're not prepared for those things and we don't have the coping skills needed, we're going to do it in an unhealthy way. And a lot of times, if drinking is your way, man, it is going to progress. Yeah. And, and it's the hardest, it's the hardest part of our job is to look at someone and say, this has the potential to go in the wrong direction. Yeah. I know you don't think that, and I know you're invincible and all that, (laughs) but Please try to be a little more aware and prepared mm-hmm. yeah. for when life throws you a massive curveball. Yeah. One of, one of the other things, too, that I think about a lot. It's one of the questions that I kind of pose to myself in a lot of situations with any behavior that I'm engaging in. The question is, like, if you removed this from your life, how much better yeah. would you be in those areas? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's kind of, you know, one of the kind of thought experiments we can do, um, or, or, you know, our listeners can do that are, that are thinking about, you know, changing their relationship to alcohol. If you did stop drinking or if you cut back your drinking, how much more present would you be able to be with your kids? How much less emotionally charged would your arguments be with your spouse? Yeah. You know, how much better would you be at work? In the mornings. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and not to mention physical health. You know, how much healthier would you be? Could it help move you forward rather than do you see how it's pulling you back? Yeah. You know, there's a total difference in just the way that we typically respond to those t- types of questions. Like, I'm not implying you're a not present dad. Yeah. 
right. was asking how much more present you could be. And and, let's create that. Yeah, and this is going to be, you know, this is a tough question to ask yourself. If you ask that question to yourself, like, how much better could I be if I take this alcohol out of my life or or, or bring it down a notch? And, and your immediate response to that is, well, I actually think my alcohol use actually makes me more present. Mm-hmm. A- ask your kid about that. Yeah. yeah. You know, ask your wife about that. Because so often we think that, oh man, if I don't have a cocktail as I get home or yeah. before I get home or whatever, I'm going to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I had a shitty day. I'm going to be a jerk to my kids. So I need a drink so I can just deal. Yeah. Yeah. And be, and not only deal, but be fun and be careful. And, and that, may, that may be true. But it's for a small little exactly. window. Until, what about the next morning? Yeah. What about that afternoon? Wouldn't it be so much more empowering to be able to do that for yourself rather than having, you know, uh, this beer will help me do this. And it's something that you should really be able to do naturally or that there are other coping skills that can help you get there. Like no one wants to go in a room and meditate for 10 minutes, but like yeah. it's way easier to crack a beer, right? And mm-hmm. yeah. and do that. But it's just about opening a conversation of what else could you do? You know, on those five days out of seven that you do drink, if you just ask yourself before you go on autopilot and open a beer, what else could I do? That usually reduces the drinking pretty immediately mm-hmm. if it's in that moderate yeah. kind of gray area. Mm-hmm. Go for a run. Pop on a meditation app. Let's do other things. All right, everybody. So we're going to wrap it up on that episode. What a great exploration into the male and uh, the male relationship with alcohol. Uh, that was very informative. Man, that's fun stuff. I still think I can drink more than you. <laughs> <laughs>